I'm Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. All right, Pastor Howard, we are now on the very first lesson of the very last quarter's study for the year 2023. And our topic is God's mission, my mission. Now, obviously, this is not a full quarterly. This is a little bit smaller. This is just a copy of the picture of it. We are actually recording these early enough that we don't have the paper copies in hand yet. That's right. But I'm There's confident. There's a promise that they're close. Exactly. I'm confident they're, they're en route. They're on their way. We're highlighting the West Central Africa Division mm-hmm. when it comes to our mission offerings this quarter. And it's appropriate that you bring up mission offering because not just is the mission, the offering for mission, but the whole topic of our study is mission. That's right. And I'm, I'm, they've even done so far as to integrate some little challenges, weekly activity elements to this. So there, there's some pretty cool things coming up. I, I'm excited looking forward to this study. Absolutely. This so, is going to be a good quarter. Yes, it is. And you outlined the first talking points for this lesson. So let me have a word of prayer and turn the time over to you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this particular time of study of Sabbath School and the topic that we're going to be looking at, the concept of mission. Help us to understand what it is, what you want from us, and how we can be faithful and active in your cause. So bless us today as we study, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, starting the quarter again, I will reiterate that we have a half-page, two-sided handout. Well, we have different formats, but basically... We do an outline for Sabbath school teachers, not that you have to use it, but something that could be helpful to you or your class, and that is available through the link that you find in the YouTube description or from our website. When you look up the Talking Points page, you'll see a link to our outline, our Sabbath school outlines there. Um, In our outline, I've Describe the lesson study introduction in these words. This quarter begins a study on the mission of the church, as you just stated, and our part in that mission as individual members. And then I quoted the first sentence, I believe it's the first sentence from, uh, uh, no, it isn't the first sentence, from, it's the last paragraph there on Sabbath's lesson. It says, but before we understand the mission of God, it is essential that we understand the God of mission. Okay. And so this week's Lesson, God's Mission to Us, Part 1, and next week is Part 2, mm-hmm. uh, looking at um, basically the God of mission, as okay. stated here. Now, that being said, our talking points this week are three. Number one, God is the first missionary. I was telling you in the prep, I was um, tempted to call it, I was going to call it God was the first, and then you can't say God was, because <laughs> God he always, always is. is. <laughs> God is the first missionary. Uh, And that I drew from Sabbath and Sunday's lesson. Number two, talking point number two, is God's ultimate desire is to be reunited with us. Mm. And I drew that from Monday and Tuesday's lessons. And then finally, talking point number three, Jesus will return when the mission is accomplished. And that from Wednesday through Friday, um, those are our talking points this week. And then when we get to the end today... We're going to talk about the weekly, what I understand is in their terminology, the challenge Mm -hmm. and the challenge up. Yeah, it's like there's challenge and then challenge plus or something. So the challenge is kind of like, um, it's almost like, I know I'm over or understating this. It's uh, the challenge is like a mission thought and then the challenge up is a mission do. Yeah, (laughs) so it's a specific activity. Now do the, so anyway, it's going to be. 
we'll 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 wrap up the lesson and we're yeah. saying I'm saying that to say to you teachers when you teach a lesson do not skip that part. Amen. This is old school Sabbath school, Sabbath school right? right? Well, Where I they used imagine. to give challenges in class, and it keeps people thinking about actually being active in mission. And if a teacher would make sure to keep a portion of the class, either the very beginning or the end or something, to say, like, let's not forget that challenge. And do we have a quick testimony? Can mm-hmm. someone share what's happened this week as you started doing the very things they asked for? Yeah. And I think we're going to see a revival of a missionary spirit right in the Sabbath school. So Amen. that's exciting. Amen. But anyway, we need to talk about this God of mission All right. and how he is, not just was, but is the first missionary. So let's get in the Wayback Machine. This isn't actually the Wayback Machine. This is a very short trip to the book of Ephesians, which Ooh. just happens to have been last quarter. <laughs> Ephesians 1 and verse 4. And I'm going to ask if you would read that. The lesson brings this out, and we'll read that and kind of then build on the concept. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Scripture reads, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Obviously, we're in the middle of one of Paul's thoughts. God the Father chose Jesus, his son, before the foundation of the world. And so the, the, the idea being emphasized is that when it came to sending Jesus on his mission, God was the initiator. Mm. We don't initiate mission. God initiates mission. Again, my talking point is God is the first missionary. He developed the plan of salvation before the fall. Uh, That verse alludes to it, as well as one that this was in the lesson, one that wasn't, uh, that I found was Revelation Mm 13.8, which talks about Jesus being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So conveying the same idea. Obviously, if God developed the plan of salvation and redemption before the fall, then he instituted missionary work. Well, and you know what just dawns me right here in real time? Is that God not only is a missionary and sent his son, but he planned for his mission before he sent him. So, like, it wasn't a haphazard, like, it was having a missionary strategy, a plan, like a local church having a plan for the next year, that's not an unscriptural thing. God models that by like, I had a plan for this, and when the time came, we put it into action. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could go on. Maybe we'll interject this. Maybe make our own lesson of a 14th week (laughs) in this quarter. If it doesn't touch on it in the quarterly about the idea of so many churches waiting until an opportune moment comes and says, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Whereas if you have a game plan... That's right. A plan for evangelism? Yes. Yes. Anyway... So God initiated the plan. God, um, the lesson also highlights, and let's go to Genesis 3. This is our memory verse. In fact, I can look at it right here from the uh, uh, quarterly. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? And so here, immediately after the fall, we find God seeking lost Mm -hmm. humanity. I mean, that's... Uh, Again, taking it It wasn't Adam who took the initiative to say, wow, we messed up. We need to go talk to God about it. (laughs) That's true. They were (laughs) hiding from God. Exactly the opposite. God took the initiative. And so Mm. uh, the quarterly says on on uh, Sabbath lesson in the first uh, paragraph, the very first sentence, if you want to read that mission finds its origin and purpose in God. It's almost a truism. You know, it's like, well, yeah, of course, obviously, but maybe it's not so obvious. Yeah. Um, and well, we need to certainly be reminded of it. Yeah, I'm already looking ahead to next week's lesson, and they do bring out that point that the mission didn't start with the church. 
It's not like the church was formed like, right. we should go on a mission. <laughs> no, it's God formed the church right. for his mission. And we'll get into that next week. But you're exactly right. It starts with God. Absolutely. Uh, Great Controversy, page 70, says the spirit of Christ is a missionary spirit. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, I've truncated the statement. She goes on to say everyone who's born of the spirit of Christ is a missionary. Amen. Born in the king of God is a missionary. So this... God is the first missionary. It's a great statement on Sunday's lesson in the last paragraph, if you want to read that. It says, We need to pay close attention, however, to the fact that before the confrontation and the promise of reconciliation, God came looking for fallen humanity. We are lost and in desperate need of salvation. He is the one who finds us with the determination to save and to be with us. So, I've got a little ellipsis there in this passage, you know, a little break, but... It basically says there are these two sides of of the proverbial coin. We're lost and in need of salvation. God finds us and determines to save us. We don't determine to save ourselves. Like right. we're we're without that God being the first missionary, we're all lost. Mm. So again, uh, talking point number one, which is really kind of a foundation for the whole quarter. God is the first missionary, mm-hmm. and He is still a missionary. Amen. He is still present tense. <laughs> and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, are all missionaries. The heavenly angels are missionaries, by the way, but they get that missionary spirit from God the Father. Now, don't steal thunder from next week's lesson, but I know that's coming <laughs> right, up, too, that right. all the members of Godhead are on this on board. So, talking point number two, God's ultimate desire, and this is drawn, as I said, from Monday and, and Tuesday, God's ultimate desire is to be reunited with us. Now, the lesson doesn't go to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Uh, it gives the concept, though, that Sin created a separation between God and humanity. In other words, there's a reason God isn't with us. He started with us. He started with Adam and Eve. But after mm-hmm. sin, then they're hiding in the garden. There's this separation mm-hmm. that takes place. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 tells us that it was sin. In fact, you have it there? I do. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So the, the, obviously the obstacle between God and man now is That's our right. decision to sin and the iniquity that we now live in. Absolutely. And so this is obviously the plan of salvation and redemption is to get rid of sin and, and cause this, this reunification. And uh, I have in our notes that the terms atonement and reconciliation both point to God's... I mean, both of these terms are about taking two estranged yeah. parties and bringing them together. Well, so, you think even redemption, like it's you're yes. redeeming, so you're bringing it back, you're reconciling, you're atoning. All of the words for salvation are all in the context of reuniting something that it apparently once was already together. Exactly. So there's a fascinating statement from the little book Confrontation by Ellen White, On pages 19 and 20, I've included a portion of it here if you want to read that for us. Satan had peculiar interest in watching the development of events immediately after the fall of Adam. She goes on to say, The holy and infinite God who dwelleth in light unapproachable could no longer talk with man. No communication could now exist directly between man and his maker. Satan flattered himself that he had forever broken the link between heaven and earth, but in this he was greatly mistaken and disappointed. This is one of my absolute favorite statements, I think, probably because of that last sentence. Yeah. In this, he was great. Let's, let, let's break it down a little bit. Um, Satan had this peculiar interest in watching events after the fall. He well, thought, yeah, because he thought his purpose in the fall was that if he could get man to sin, he knew the offensive nature of sin. And I don't, offensive is even an understatement. 
Ellen White brings out the language of Paul to Timothy here when she says that God dwells in light unapproachable. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's unapproachable by fallen man. Yes. Man would be consumed. Our God is a consuming fire, it says in the book of Hebrews. Man would be cons- Fallen man would be consumed if he came into the presence of God. So mm-hmm. Lucifer, knowing this, says, well, I fixed it. Man, now because he's fallen, can never come into the presence of God, and he's cut off from communication with God, and without being in communic- able to communicate with God, what hope does he have? They're done. They're yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. And so you imagine, like, he, he has this expectation of what the fall is going to do. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and then he watches just to see how the whole thing unfolds, right? And so then you, we didn't have time to get into all this, but of course the, the God gives the, the, the consequences to Adam and Eve and the cursing the serpent. And, right. and there's all kinds of stuff that comes right in this Genesis 3 immediate wake of the fall, but it's fascinating study. Well, I, I, what grabbed my attention here is the line that says, no communication could now exist directly between man and his maker. It doesn't say Satan thought that no communication. And mm-hmm. I think this is important. The statement is made, no communication could exist unless something else took place. Right. And it also says no direct communication. So that's right. he'd have to find a, there'd have to be a plan, some sort of that's workaround, right. because it used to be they could just talk in the cool of the day, you know, but now it's... There had to be a plan that could somehow, um, uh, uh, what, uh, diminish is not the right word, but somehow veil that unapproachable light mm-hmm. in a way that God could communicate with man. Right. So God still has the desire to communicate yeah. with man. Obviously, he came looking for him, and he, right. even though he knew he fell. And as we're going to see in a few minutes here, he's trying to bring them back as close as he can, but also not kill them at the same time. Right. And so Satan says, that can't be done. Too yeah. bad. In this, he was greatly mistaken and disappointed. Amen. God did find a way to open that channel of communication. Now, all of this is communicating that God's ultimate desire is that reunification yes. with fallen humanity. So I have in our notes here that the sacrificial, and it's brought out in the lesson uh, in Monday and Tuesday, uh, touched on, that the sacrificial system and later the earthly sanctuary were designed to reveal this truth that we're looking at of atonement, of God's reconciliation to man. Now, the first one I want to look at is Genesis 3.24. You have Adam and Eve being sent away from the garden. Mm-hmm. You want to read it? Yes. Uh 324. Genesis 324. Oh, I was in the wrong. I was like, <laughs> I boy, Exodus isn't going to help us out I was with like, this Exodus one at all. Exodus isn't going to get it. But Genesis 324. Oh, this is much better. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, which turned every way, to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so you have, now in, in the picture that we, you know, and I've seen it in the Bible story books and other things, mm-hmm. you've got. And there's one picture where there's an angel, he's got a sword in his hand, and he's pointing it at him and Eve this way, and they're kind of skulking away out of yeah. the garden, this yeah. kind of thing. Get away from the tree. <laughs> now, I don't want to diminish the fact that, you know, we know from inspiration that that God could not permit fallen man to eat from the tree of life and make an immortal sinner. Mm-hmm. So they were guarded from eating from the tree. But what I found fascinating, I found this, this, there was a study I did a while ago, and it just, of course, came to mind as we were going through this here. Um, when you read the passage, and it says that they, uh, there was a, a cherubim and a flaming sword. First of all, I want to clarify that cherubim is plural for cherub. Yeah, so, so there wasn't a cherubim, there were cherubim. Right, yeah. there's, no, there's not cherubs. It, cherubim is plural, at mm. least two, and that will play into this, this concept. And then it says a flaming sword. But in the original Hebrew, the word doesn't mean a sword. And in fact, I have a quote here from the SDA Bible Commentary. It is in our notes. 
Uh, what, you want to read that? Sure. Do you want to read the No, I don't. I, don't I want you to read this one. <laughs> because there's a, there's a tricky word in here. I think Pastor Howard's <laughs> trying to make it funny here. But the I'm form of the Hebrew verb... Mythapicus. <laughs> Mythapicus. I told I told Karen our review Mythapicus with my third grade teacher. <laughs> Mythapicus. Anyway, it's a it's a Hebrew. I'm sure you would have thrilled a Hebrew scholar, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, the form of this Hebrew verb, Mythapicus, rendered in the King James Version, quote, turned every way, really means turning itself every way which may not seem like a big deal, but goes on to explain, this verb form is used exclusively to express intensive, reflexive action and requires, in this instance, the conclusion that the sword, quote-unquote, appeared to whirl itself about. Okay, so let's pause there and get the picture. So the, the, the Bible says a flaming sword, but the original Hebrew actually, it's using that to describe if there was a sword that was... That was like if we had a shiny sword here mm-hmm. and it was picking up all our studio lights mm-hmm. and they were glinting but here, there, and everywhere. But it was almost self-oscillating. It was just only kind of, yeah. yes, nobody's swinging it. It's kind of swinging itself. So it's yeah. just basically the 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 um, Moses is trying to describe a light that whirls itself about and looks yeah. like all this flashing of a sword. Yeah. Okay. And so that was his original. He he didn't. He didn't say it was a sword. He said right. it was and a glittering of a sword. And he wasn't trying to describe the physical nature of it. He was trying to describe the, the impression of, of it. it. Exactly. Yes. And, and so here you've got this. So there are cherubim, at least two, mm-hmm. and in between them this flashing light. Mm-hmm. So when you read the rest of the... You know, I would just ask, I mean, think about where in the Bible we see cherubim and a flashing mm-hmm. light in between them. Yeah. That's... And, that's the cover of the, you know, the, the Ark, Ark of the, of the Covenant, Covenant, right? right. The, the mercy seat of God. And the, and the Lord came and dwelt between the cherubim. Mm-hmm. You know, he who dwelt between the cherubim shine forth, I think it says mm-hmm. it falls Psalm 85 or 86. Or So why don't you uh, read the rest of that? Yeah, well, the, the, still in the Bible commentary, it says, This radiant living light was none other than the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of the divine presence. So okay. God manifests himself there as the... I don't want to say the obstacle to the tree of life, even though it right. was, but it's also, it's somehow it's, it seems both obstacle and invitation. Absolutely. If it can be that way, you know. And, and I think that's the important point here is typically when we read Genesis 3, all we see is obstacle. Mm-hmm. And there was an obstacle. Man wasn't permitted to eat from the tree being a of sinner. Course. But God was doing everything he could to pave the way for man to once again eat from that tree. Mm-hmm. And we know when we come to the book of Revelation that we're eating from that tree again. Well, and if you think so, about it, they were, you know, inspiration tells us that that's where they would go to bring their offerings and stuff. It was right there. That was the meeting place of well, God. Well, in fact, you have that, yeah, that why statement. Yeah, don't you go ahead and read it? Patriarchs and Prophets. Somebody may say, well, that's the ASA commentary. Where are they getting this from? Well, page 83 from the page, Bible, but, Patriarchs and Prophets. At the cherubim guarded gate of paradise, the glory of God was revealed. And hither came the first worshipers. Here their altars were reared and their offerings presented. It was here that Cain and Abel had brought their sacrifices, and God had condescended to communicate with them. Now, now putting all that now, together... Hold on oh, that oh, for please. A so, I don't have it in the lesson, but when we got to discussing it, there, you also, just a little bit back further, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 62, a similar statement. The Garden of Eden remained upon earth long after man had become an outcast from its pleasant paths. The fallen race were long permitted to gaze upon the home of innocence, their entrance barred only by the watching angels. At the cherubim-guarded gate of paradise, the divine glory was revealed. Mm-hmm. At Shekinah. Hither came Adam and his sons yes. to worship God. So it's yes. kind of like this precursor to the sanctuary, if you will. Well, exactly. And and have you ever, I, I, 
when I was younger, I used to it was kind of, it almost seems cruel to be like, I'm going to guard the way, but I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to leave the right. tree right there. Like, see what you couldn't have anymore, and you're just continually <laughs> right. taunting them. But it's not a taunt, and it's not a tease, and it's not a punishment. Even though it's a consequence of their sin, they have to be by necessity right. separated from it. But God is appealing to them, like, this is the rest. This is where I'm aiming to get you back That's to. Exactly right. And I want you to come close to me. And by my grace, my, my plan, we're going to reinstate you to this. That's like, right. It's, it's a bookend option. And know. you use the word invitation. I mean, you think of it, if, if, if Adam and his sons brought their sacrifices there, mm-hmm. we see the imagery like the... Uh, Ark of the Covenant, you get the cherubim mm-hmm. and you get the Shekinah glory being the presence of God, that clearly is an invitation. In other words, the Israelites weren't taught, stay away from the sanctuary. Right, just come. <laughs> They're taught, yeah. come to the it's sanctuary. It's in the middle of the camp. Yeah. And so it just, sh- to me, it sheds such a light on, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, on the, <laughs> the, the idea of the, the angels guarding the gate that, yes, God couldn't permit sin to be immortalized, but God was always longing for, yes. and that's our talking point the number two, God's ultimate desire is to be reunited with us. And we see that first in the guarding of the gate, and also, as I mentioned, uh, kind of like a precursor, so what I have in the note in our notes is um, the sacrificial system and later the earthly sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So we see the sacrificial system there at the gate of Eden before we have the actual sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But then you get to the sanctuary... And um, for sake of time, we won't look it up, but I have it here in the notes. Exodus 25, 8. The Lord said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell dwell among among them. them. And the lesson highlights this idea of God dwelling among us. And then when you come to the New Testament, there are a lot of people who don't realize that when the Bible says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt uh, dwelt among them, and they beheld his glory. Mm. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace mm. and truth. I mean, the pit, that word dwelt among them is tabernacled or pitched yes. his tent. And it's directly, it's saying basically how the earthly sanctuary veiled the glory of, of God. Mm-hmm. So the person of Jesus Christ was a tent in mm. which the glory of God dwelt as a way to draw his people back. So mm. the imagery is just fascinating. Yes. You know, I think I think also of in the Old Testament, whenever the temple was, you know, consecrated, when Moses built the, the sanctuary for the first time, the tabernacle after a pattern, mm-hmm. the Lord inhabits it, and it's the glory right. is so bright and intense they have to go out. Right. But his goal was to keep pushing them out. It was then, all right, now yeah. come in, let me draw you in. But it's always like God is putting His presence here, unadulterated pure glory, and then invites well, us. Well, honestly, into you think about Christ coming into the temple, mm-hmm. and everybody goes out. Same thing, and then. Many are drawn back in. Ooh. Some don't want to come back in. You know. Oh, there's a sermon just, right there. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So that leads us to talking point number three, which is Jesus will return when the mission is accomplished. Mm. Um, I shared in one of our workers' meetings recently, the late Pastor Richard O'Phil used to say that Adventists are the only people that get excited about every disaster. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a hurricane, and there's a terrorist attack, and there's That's a another side. coming Amen. soon. And it's interesting that you know, we, we, we tend to watch signs as if, like, this is happening, this is happening, and when this thing happens, Jesus is coming. Let's be clear. Not if we don't have the mission done yet. Well, the mission being done is one of the signs. That's right. Like, it's going to be accomplished just as much as there be wars or rumors of wars or right. anything like that. Matthew twenty four fourteen. That's right. This gospel of the kingdom. Shall be preached unto the world as a witness to all nations. And then. Shall the end the come. The end come. So, th- this is interesting that, uh, and I put in our outline that Jesus' parting words in all four Gospels had to do with a mission. 
And, mm-hmm. and I've taught this before. Like, parting words are, are words that are, you, you think them through more carefully. They're the things that are the burden on your heart. If I'm not going to see you for a long time, I want to leave something with you that's very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And in every case, in every gospel, in a different variation of it, Jesus' burden was mission, mission, mission. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going away, and you need to finish the mission that we started. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most telling um, uh, examples is in Acts chapter 1. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, right before Jesus' ascension to heaven, as Luke records it, um, if you have it there, you can go ahead and read it. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, what's fascinating about this passage is, it's not for you to know times or seasons. I mean, this is the same Jesus that gave him all the signs of the times in Matthew 24. Yes. So, like, what's the point here? But when you look at it carefully, you see that his concern, the disciples are like, hey, so now is it time for you to set up the kingdom? Mm -hmm. And they were, they had that mindset that, okay, it's time. They were looking at events and trying to, and his concern was that they would get so fixated on events and the timing of his kingdom, they'd forget that he gave them a work to do. Mm-hmm. And you can see the direct parallel with the church today. Like, mm. did Jesus give signs we should be looking for? Sure. But let's not think the signs are going to do, are going to bring in, hasten the coming of Jesus. It right. is us carrying out the mission that God has yes. given us as a people that is to hasten. And, you know, the lesson highlights Matthew 28. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He will be with us. We're not in the mission alone. Mm-hmm. But the mission has to be accomplished. That is what it's, well, and the, the, mi- the coming the, of Christ is predicated the, on. The context of that promise also is the mission. So it's not like he's exactly. just generically going to be around, though, of course, we, we trust that his spirit is there. But he was specifically in that instance talking about, as you go out and complete this mission, I'm there with you to finish this thing. So you're just joining me in this mission I had started, but you're continuing. Exactly. And the lesson brings up John 14. Um, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, I will come again and receive you to myself. But John 14 is one of the chapters where he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Later on in that chapter, he talks about how you're going to do greater works than I did. Mm-hmm. And when we come there to what we just read in Acts 1, verse 8, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be witnesses. So yes. that promise of his coming is not separated from the work of mission, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them to help them to accomplish. Yes. Again, Jesus will return when the mission is accomplished, but he is with us in the mission. I've, there's a great statement from Friday's lesson that we have here, Acts the Apostles 29, if you want to read sure. that. Jesus assured his followers that he would be with them. So long as they obeyed his word and worked in connection with him, they could not fail. Go to all nations, he bade them, and be assured that my presence will be with you even there. Labor in faith and confidence, for the time will never come when I will forsake you. I will be with you always helping you to perform your duty, guiding, comforting, sanctifying, sustaining you, giving you success, and speaking words that shall draw the attention of others to heaven. Mm, what a precious promise. Mm-hmm. The Lord will help us to be, he won't only just be with us, he'll help us to be successful in our work mm-hmm. for him. And so, uh, ultimately, by the grace of God, with Christ working with us and through us, the mission will be completed. Revelation 21, verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, mm. and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. The mission Amen. will indeed be completed. In conclusion, there's a great statement on 
uh, Friday's lesson. Or I'm sorry, this is from Desire of Ages, page 26. I'm not sure where in the lesson it is, but if you want to share that. The work of redemption will be complete. In the place where sin abounded, grace, God's grace much more abounds. The earth itself, the very field that Satan claims is his, is to be not only ransomed, but exalted. Here, where the Son of God tabernacled in humanity, where the King of glory lived and suffered and died, here, when he shall make all things new, the tabernacle of God shall be with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Amen. That is from Thursday's lesson. You can find that also at Desire of Ages, page 26. Now, speaking of Thursday's lesson. <laughs> at the bottom of Thursday's lesson, we have a challenge and a challenge up. All right. So the challenge is pray every day of the coming week that God would open your heart to be part of his mission. Okay. So a spirit of prayer specifically focused on mission and make my heart open to it. And if you're up for the challenge up, (laughs) Cameron, do you have it? I don't. Let's read it here. It says, challenge up. Learn the name of someone in your life you don't already know. A neighbor, co-worker, shopkeeper, bus driver, janitor, someone. Begin praying for him or her each day. I love that. Yeah. Now, first of all, so we, we like to, I'm going to, oh yeah, I'm going to pray, pray over here somewhere. No, no, no. You're going to get out and do something. Now look, this is not hard. It's like, Come oh, on. it's so hard. Find, learn the name of somebody yeah. and pray for him. I think you can do this. And I think it's going to be good for us to challenge ourselves to take these lessons to heart throughout these challenges and challenge ups. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for this particular, I know our time's out, but Think about this. If the world church of Seventh-day Adventist, mm. some 20 plus million strong, took this seriously, it's like, I'm going to learn a new name and I'm going to pray for that name. Oh. And I don't know what the coming challenges Amen. are going to be, but I think we're in for a really exciting quarter. Fantastic. Amen. Well, yes. we do need to close with our word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this mission that you originated, that your plan and you executed through Christ. And now we have the privilege of being co-laborers to extend that mission to the ends of the earth. Please bless us, whether we're foreign missionaries or just local right here in our own hometown, but to have that missionary spirit that God instills in our hearts to be co-laborers to help finish this work. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.